You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. it's not yet apparent to you, I am not Pastor Wright, nor am I Pastor Pyland. Uh, if you do not know me, uh, I'm Pastor Bauer. Uh, I work with Reform University Fellowship at Kent State University. Uh, we've been doing that 10 years. I've uh, been a part of this congregation since 1995 uh, and love it dearly. And it's a pleasure to be with you and to bring the word before you this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to James. We're going to be in James chapter 5. The majority of our time will be spent in verses 7 through 11, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 for the sake of context. If you're using the Pew Bible, uh, it's on page 1013. Hear now the word of the Lord from James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. The wages of of the deliverers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Sends the reading of God's word. May he write its eternal truth on all of our hearts this morning. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we have heard your word read, we pray now that your spirit would till the soil of our hearts so that the seed of the gospel would take root deeply and would bear forth fruit in abundance in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
Whenever you have a guest preacher, it's somewhat like you're diving into an unknown territory and an unknown land. Uh, And not only do you have a guest preacher, but you also have us diving into a new book in the middle of it, uh, unknown territory and unknown land. So in order for us to have a little context, uh, briefly, the letter of James, if you're not familiar with it, uh, was written by James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, During this time, he's the leader of the Jerusalem church. And it's written to the dispersed Jewish church or Jewish Christians in house churches sort of all throughout the whole Mediterranean region. And he's focusing intently uh, in this letter to these Christians on faithfulness in the midst of persecutions and situations of poverty and oppression. As we just read prior to the passage that we're going to be focusing on this evening or this morning in 7 through 11, James includes, I think, one of the most stinging rebukes and condemnations to the rich in the Bible. He rebukes those who abuse their power over others and use it for their own self-indulgence in luxury. It's sort of the context that this passage that begins with be patient sits in. So in light of that, we see that James's call for his brothers to be patient is due to the great suffering that they're experiencing uh, at the hands of those in positions of power over them. But though that's the context of James's message to his original audience, uh, it's clear that his message applies much more broadly when seen in the context of all of Scripture. James's exhortation towards patience really applies to a myriad of different circumstances. You don't necessarily need to be in a situation in which you are being oppressed by those in power over you for you to glean uh, or have this passage uh, apply to you. And this passage is much more than simply an imperative call to patience. What James does in verses 7 through 11 here is unfold for us how God uses suffering and hardship in our lives to develop endurance and resilience in our faith. So this morning, and if you're a kid, pay attention or note taker, I want to focus our attention on three particular ways. I don't have a kid's log, but hopefully this will help. Three particular ways that this passage pulls us out of ourselves, pulls us out of our circumstances, and moves us to depend on the finished work of Christ for our hope and our strength. So three particular ways. First, it reminds us of God's faithfulness. Second, it cautions us to guard against bitterness. And third, It calls us to rest in God's compassion and mercy. So first, God uses this call to be patient, to remind us of his faithfulness. And he does this by focusing on when we will no longer need to be patient anymore. He reminds us of the finish line. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He reminds us of the finish line, and this is meant to give us strength.
strength in the midst of a difficult circumstance, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship and oppression. Remember the finish line. Again, I work with college students. In the midst of a brutal semester, every student is saying to themselves, just hang on till Christmas break. Right? They just had Thanksgiving break. Finals are coming up. It's the last days. The last days are coming. It's only, or maybe it's only two years to graduation. He's pointing, James is pointing them towards the finish line when they do not need to be patient anymore. When the need for hanging on is over. When the waiting is over. When the when the moving is over, when the discontent is over. We find encouragement in the midst of arduous times of life by fixing our minds on the finish line. But James doesn't simply focus on temporary respite, like the end of a semester. Uh, or the end of the holiday season for those of you who may be hosting. He doesn't simply focus on temporary respite. He's seeking to strengthen and resolve, strengthen the resolve of his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ by reminding them of the coming of the Lord. That day when he comes again to make all things new. When the souls that have been made perfect in glory are no longer waiting to be reunited with their bodies, but everything is made perfect, everything is made new, the coming of the Lord. He's seeking to strengthen their resolve by lifting their eyes from the pain of injustice, of the injustice of the rich, and by drawing them to the plan of the Lord to come again and make all things new. And it's not simply a, this will be the time in which your affliction is over. But it is a, this, is, this will be the end of the one who is afflicting you. And they will be judged. It's an end to all waiting. This is a vital reminder to us in the midst of all the many difficulties of life that sinners in a sinful world go through because we are so easily distracted by our physical circumstances. This is a vital reminder because it's so easy for us to lose sight of the spiritual victory that has been won because of the circumstantial difficulty we are currently in the throes of. So easy to lose sight that restoration is coming, that the finish line is ahead when you're in the midst of the process. I love the illustration of a farmer that James uses. No surprise to those of you who know I live on a farm. Uh, a farmer must be patient and allow the seasonal rains to run their course before he can gather a good harvest. The early rains are what cause the seed to germinate when it's in the ground. 
The late rains are what causes the grain to mature and be ripe for harvest. If the farmer seeks to harvest too soon to realize the benefits of his crop, he will only get marginal grain. He has to wait for the seed to not only germinate, but also mature. He literally pours his money into the ground and must patiently wait to receive his investment back. If he doesn't wait for the early and the late rains, he will lose everything for the sake of a brief and momentary respite that will not last and will leave him much worse off than he was before. How true is that? When we are impatient with the Lord's timing and we seek to manufacture or find security and hope for ourselves here, as opposed to finding our security and hope in the Lord and his divine providence. Look at the stinging condemnation and rebuke of the rich before this passage. How much of that is due to the simple fact that they are seeking to find, enjoy, and manufacture their own security now, as opposed to trusting in the Lord and following his commandments. They were not patient. They did not look to the coming of the Lord, but simply to the here and now, seeking temporary pleasures, fleeting treasures, sacrificing eternal hope on the altar of their own selfish appetites and aspirations. And they reap what they sow. They have fattened their hearts in a day of slaughter. They are found guilty by the judge who hears the cries of them who they have oppressed, abused, and forgotten along the way. We are currently in the Advent season. I would be remiss to not include a Christmas carol illustration. Remember the chains that wrap around Jacob Marley in the Christmas Carol. You are fettered, said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it, link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will. And of my own free will, I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Or would you know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on since. It is a ponderous chain. Without faith in Jesus, without atonement for sin, we are bound. We're shackled by chains of our own making, and they are real and they are heavy. 
The echoes of James' condemnation of the wicked in the previous verses are a sober warning to us in this life not to be caught up in this life. Look to the harvest. Look to the coming of the Lord. Remember the faithfulness of the Lord and his coming again to make all things right and be patient, brothers and sisters in Christ. The actual word that James uses for patience here is one that means to bear up under persecution, to be long-suffering or hold yourself back from anger. This focuses James's call for patience, not simply on the relief that we'll find at the coming of the king, but on the idea of waiting for the coming of the king for justice and the judgment of the wicked. I've said patience a lot. But patience isn't simply a waiting game. Kids, when you hear be patient from your parents, usually feels like they're just telling you to wait. It's not simply a waiting game. James knows that we're not simply supposed to sit on our hands and idly wait for the Lord's coming. Much quoted saying, if you aren't pushing forward, you're moving backwards. So he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What does James mean here? What does it mean to establish your heart? I think what James is doing here is to give is giving our understanding of patience more depth and color by describing the meat of it. Patience isn't simply about waiting. Patience is about preparation. It's about the nurturing and cultivating of our faith through the ordinary means of grace. It's through patient and diligent preparation that we keep our eyes fixed on the promises of God in the midst of persecution and poverty, in the midst of difficulty and pain. We keep our eyes fixed on the faithfulness of the Lord through diligent preparation, establishing our hearts in his promises. To establish your heart is to ground it in the word of God so deeply that it cannot be moved by either injustice or suffering. And so that it can be kept healthy and strong in spite of our own sinful inclinations and falterings. To establish your heart in the word is to anchor it, is to fix it so it cannot be moved. James follows this exhortation towards patience with a caution to guard ourselves from grumbling along the way. This is an incredibly important point because it reminds us to not simply be mindful of what we do, but even more importantly, be mindful of what you say. James focuses intensely on the words of our mouths through his letter because he understands, even as Jesus did in Matthew 12, 35, 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a warning to guard ourselves against grumbling along the way. James here is giving us a litmus test in regards to the establishment of our hearts in the Lord. Remember, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here we have a litmus test in regards to whether or not our hearts are grounded in the Lord. If our speech is filled with grumbling, it is because we are more established in our place here on earth than we are in our place with God. Also, he points specifically to grumbling towards one another. Did you see that? Grumbling towards one another. He's talking to brothers. He's not saying grumbling about the rich. He's saying grumbling towards one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. It can be so easy for jealousy and bitterness to grow in a family. We all had Thanksgiving. It's so easy for bitterness to take root in the hearts of people who are close to one another, who are involved in each other's lives. Particularly when some may have it easier than other people. Why is it that some are suffering? Some suffer more, some suffer less. This is why James uses the prophets as an illustration here. James reiterates his farming illustration with another illustration of patience, but this one's found in Scripture. Again, reinforcing for us just practically the necessity of the word for our patience in the face of sin and the effects of sin in this life. The means of grace is how we are grounded. So he points us to the word. He points us specifically to the prophets as examples of patience, examples of faithful suffering in their work, and also examples of sinners who grumbled. Pastor Wright's going through Jonah. We're going to see some grumbling. He points us specifically to the prophets who spoke the word of the Lord to the people of God, the nation of Israel, in the name of the Lord. If you spent any time in the prophets before, you know that it is filled with suffering and with persecution, with difficulty. Many prophets saw little, if any, fruit from their labor as the voice of the Lord to the people of God. In many cases, they were met with outright rebellion, persecution for their faithfulness in calling God's people to repentance. Could you imagine being a prophet as you read through the prophets? Could you imagine? It makes, to me, it makes Jonah's anger at the Lord a little more understandable. Your own people aren't responding to you. And you want me to go and talk to the Ninevites? 
I would be so tempted to grow hard-hearted and bitter against people, particularly the people of the Lord. But they remained faithful in the midst of suffering and the rebellion of the people and in the midst of their own struggling with sin. How humbling is it that God would give us not simply the means of our salvation by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in the word, but also the means of encouragement in the faith through the lives of faithful saints who have gone before us. He gives us the means for salvation in the word by giving us Christ. And he also gives us the strength and encouragement for our faith as we run this race, as middle school talked about in Sunday school this morning. It can be a grueling exercise, though, to read through the major and minor prophets. Recognize this. Because it is so incredibly difficult to keep track of the context of the different times and circumstances that each of them are operating in and in the midst of and speaking into. I think this is the reason why so many of us are unfamiliar with the prophets in general, tend to avoid them. But James's example here should be an encouragement for us to not avoid them, because even if we hardly understand the many prophecies and situations that they're talking about, we probably know and understand them more than they did. We can glean a lot of encouragement from their example of continuing to speak, even when they themselves don't understand what God is saying through them or why. Examples, Hosea, Marrying a prostitute. Why? Isaiah, preaching naked for three years. Why? Jeremiah, burying his loincloth. Elijah, hiding from Jezebel. What? You just preached that the Lord is going to conquer, and yet you run because you do not understand. With good reason, James says in verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And they stood steadfast not because they were better people, not because they did more, not because of the great privilege that they were given to proclaim the name of the Lord. They remained steadfast because of the Lord, because the Lord would not let them go. They were sinners as we see time and time again in the Old Testament. All of them time and time again wandered off the narrow path of faith and obedience. They sinned. They got angry. They grumbled. They got bitter. They forgot the faithfulness of the Lord. How did they endure? Because God is merciful and compassionate. He does not leave his children to pick themselves up on their own or to find their own way back. He pursues them. He gives them strength through the Holy Spirit to walk in the way of the Lord in the midst of their fear. So we see James calling us to patience in our suffering, to guard ourselves against bitterness towards one another along the way, and finally calling us to rest in God's compassion and mercy declared in the life of Job. 
As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We consider them blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James uses Job as an illustration of steadfastness in the midst of suffering here. And I think it's important to note the subtle differences between the words used for James's initial call to be patient and the steadfastness spoken of in verse 11. Word for patience initially is one that, again, we spoke of, speaking to be bear, to bearing up under persecution or long-suffering, refraining from anger. And this focuses his initial call on the idea of waiting for the coming of the Lord. The word for steadfastness is one that speaks to in the enduring of general difficulty, right? Just perseverance in the midst of trial, specifically through the direct enabling of the Holy Spirit. A lot communicated there in that word. The enduring of general difficulty. The subtle difference between these two words and the illustration of the life of Job shows us that while we suffer at the hands of others and are to bear up under that suffering, we also suffer at the hands of Satan. We also deal with the difficulty of our own sinful behaviors. And we can only endure these things by listening to the Lord and resting in his compassion and his mercy. Job was not a perfect man. It says he was blameless. It means he was a man of faith. He rested in the Lord's compassion and mercy. He suffered greatly, wrestled with despair and grumbling, just as James cautioned us against. But through the Holy Spirit, he endured his trials in repentance and faith. And James says that God's purpose in the life of Job was to showcase his perfect compassion and mercy. We should take an enormous amount of comfort in this reality because it shows us that though we may stumble and fall, the Lord is always compassionate and merciful to his children. 1 John 1.9, we read it all the time in our assurance of pardon. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This final illustration of Job's life also shows us the way in which God tends to draw our eyes away from this physical and sensible world towards the spiritual and intangible world. The Holy Spirit, instead of leaving us to be consumed with our suffering and sin, uses our suffering and sin itself to open our eyes to the character of God. As we suffer at the hands of the oppressor, as we endure, uh, the judge is watching and will bring about justice. As we experience poverty and hardship in this life, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the riches waiting us at the coming of the Lord. As we wrestle with sin and continually fail, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the overflowing fountain of Christ's grace and mercy and compassion that never runs out. 
So when you are tempted to judge others, to grumble about your circumstances, or to lose hope that things can ever be different, take a step back, bow your head, look to the word, and remember the steadfast love of your heavenly Father. It is boundless. It is free. It is in the process of transforming you, body and soul, into the perfect and beautiful image that God designed and created you to be. Be drawn out of love with this sinful, broken world and look to the coming of the King. Find courage because he is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he is coming again soon. I'll close with this line uh, from an old turn-of-the-century hymn uh, by Mabel Camp. Lift up your heads, pilgrims weary. See days approach, now crimson the sky. Night shadows flee, and your beloved, awaited with longing, at last draweth nigh. May that be an encouragement to us all to hold fast to Jesus in this present fleeting moment. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.